0: Good to see you tonight. We're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 20, uh, going into chapter 2, verse 1. On Wednesday nights, we're looking in-depth from our text over the weekend, as we looked at the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna. So, as Jesus writes to the seven churches, he gives us this challenge he that has ears let him hear what the spirit says to the churches and the spirit of god is here and so let's open up our hearts and our ears and allow god to speak to us tonight so father we thank you for the gift of church the the gift of the body of christ we know that you're speaking to us this evening that your spirit is with us so we want to wait upon you holy spirit Give you opportunity to speak to our hearts, our minds. And we pray we would be strengthened and you would be glorified. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Seems to be a question a lot of people are wrestling with right now is why church? Why would you go to church? Why would you come to church? What is church? What's the, the purpose of the church? And the key reason why we would gather together as believers is because Jesus is in our midst. He loves his church. We're described as the body of Christ. We're also described as the bride of Christ. So as you're wrestling through that question of, of why would I invest in the people of God, the answer is because Jesus is invested in the people of God. There is an argument that goes, well, Well, I love Jesus, but I really just don't like the local church. And I want to suggest to you, the more that we press into who Jesus is and our relationship with Him, that we're going to love what He loves. Christ loves the church. He's in the midst of the church. So, so if I'm loving Jesus, I'm going to naturally love what He loves. So let's look at verse 20 of chapter 1. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches to the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands first let's examine this word church we use it all of the time but do we understand what it means biblically in the greek the word is ekklesia and it means to be called out into assembly we're called out of darkness we're called out of sin we're called out of this world the world system the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life but we're not just called out we're called into something we're called into the body of christ where jesus is our head where we follow him and take our marching orders from Christ, entering into the mission of Jesus to see the lost found and the lost to come to know Christ as their Savior. There's a lot of examples of groups that are called together for a common cause. I think one that we're really fond of in our culture is sports. It's amazing the amount of unity that's on a team. There's There's amazing the amount of work and and effort that goes uh, into a team. The enthusiasm for this group that you're you're called into, it sweeps over a community, sweeps over a state, sweeps over a region. And that's a group that has been called together for a specific purpose. What if that kind of unity existed inside of the church? It's like, man, I'm wearing Jesus... (laughs) I'm not wearing orange and blue, I'm wearing Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ, and He he has brought me together in this assembly of God's people. Some of you are car guys. You love cars. And that's your assembly of people. And it's joined you together. Now, I'm not here to condemn sports or condemn cars. I think that those are great ways to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. If we have no interests, we're really boring, and we have no bridges into people that don't know Christ as our Savior. Sports is a way to reach people for Christ. Sport cars are a way to reach people for, for Christ. So, so those are just examples of assemblies of people. And God is, has brought us together, and he addresses the church of Ephesus, this assembly that has been brought together for specific purpose. If there's one thing that 2020 taught us from COVID is that church is not a building. Oftentimes it's like, I'm going to church, and we say that in reference to coming to, to the building. But church is where believers gather together in the name of Jesus. It happens to be in a building tonight, but it could be in your home. It could be in a coffee shop. There's a lot of different locations, but the church... Is the people. So when we talk about why church, we're really asking the question of of why the people of God? Why would I be joined to God's people? Why would I be committed to God's people? We're not talking about a building, we're not talking about a location. We have this beautiful description in our text this evening of the church being a lampstand. Remember, the book of Revelation is written in signs and symbols. So God gives us pictures of truths. So the nature, the identity of the church is found in this symbol of a lampstand. It goes back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, where God said he wanted a lampstand in the tabernacle. And there was one stem and then three coming off of each side, seven, the number seven. And here we find seven churches. And the lampstand, if you're a Jew that's familiar with the tabernacle and the temple, your mind would go back to the Old Testament. There was no electricity in the tabernacle, in the temple. It was literally the light that would light up the tabernacle and light up the temple. And what does a lampstand do? What's the purpose of these lampstands? It contains the light. It holds the light. And that's the purpose of the church, is that we hold the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he lives inside of us, so we're to radiate the love of Jesus Christ. God's instrument that he uses to spread his light, his love, through communities is his church. We talked a bit about Ephesus over the weekend and how it was a seaport city. A lot of idolatry a huge intellectual influence, lots of sexual sin, much like our culture today. And God wanted to use the church of Ephesus to go into that community and impact with the love of Jesus Christ. And at a time, they were doing that well. But Jesus tells them in his correction, in his rebuke, he says, if you don't return to your first love, I'm going to remove your lampstand. You're going to have no influence or or impact in the community. We need to be reminded about this as the church of God, our our purpose, our identity. Why do we exist as the people of God is many times we think about it in our own comfort. When we're looking for a church, what are we oftentimes looking for? How are my needs met? Are my kids going to have children's ministry? Is there going to be youth ministry. Do I like the worship? Worship is, is so important. And if they had coffee, that would be nice too. But if we're not careful, it's, it's a lot about, well, my needs. Well, what do, what do I need spiritually? And there is an element where you want to be going to a church where you're fed and your family is ministered to. But what's the purpose of being fed And be ministered to. It's not just so that we can be comfortable. It's not just so we can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. But it's so that we can give and give and give and give. The question that we should be asking is, is this a community of people that I can join with that we can enter into the mission of Jesus? Where we're going to be encouraged together to reach the lost. That we together as a body can be more effective with those that don't know Christ as their Savior. God's heart breaks for the lost, breaks for those that that don't know Jesus. God has systematically placed us in positions in this community to share the love of Jesus Christ. Hopefully tonight we're being encouraged and we're being equipped so we can be sent out into the mission field, into our neighborhoods, our families, our kids' sports teams, our co-workers. More and more, we're in a culture that doesn't know who Jesus is. This is the purpose of of the lampstand. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, "You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a lampstand, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house." It's the outward focus of the church. It's sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others. It could very well possibly be the death of a church when we become inward focused, when we forget about those that don't know Christ as their Savior. I was reading today in Daniel chapter 12 of my devotions, and it talks of resurrection unto life and resurrection unto eternal contempt. There will be those that are raised to heaven and those that will be raised to to hell. And then the next verse is it talks about you're wise if you shine like a star. Basically, same message. If you're a light in this this dark world, you're, you're wise if you win souls. I know it can be discouraging if we don't see breakthrough in people's lives that don't know Christ their Savior, but keep loving them in a real way that points them to Jesus. Look for those opportunities to share the gospel. The Spirit of God promises us to fill us with His Spirit so that we can be a witness. So when we're in line with that mission, the power of God comes into our lives. The next thing that we see about the church in our text is that Jesus is in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's present with believers when We gather together. And this is important for us to understand. Is Christ with us all the time? Yes, he promised that. But there's something special when believers come together as his people. God is is walking in the midst of the church gathering in this assembly of people that have been called out of darkness and into light. As we've seen so far with the church of Ephesus... It's messed up. They've left their first love. But Jesus is hanging out with the church of Ephesus. He loves them. He hasn't given up on them. Church of Smyrna is doing well. We're going to study two churches on Saturday and Sunday. Not doing well. They may be churches that you would evaluate and you'd say, I am not attending. I am not going there. That is not a healthy church. They're off track. But Jesus is there. And I'm not condoning for churches to be off track, but what do we hear a lot of times about why we don't go to church? Well, because churches are hypocritical. Yes, they are. Well, churches hurt me? Yes, they do. Churches err doctrinally? Yes, they do. And again, none of those things being justified, but if you're looking for a perfect church, you will never find it and you'll miss Jesus. You'll miss Jesus because he's committed to our church and so we commit to the church of God our local gathering but the body of Christ as a whole and he's in the midst of his people I want you to hear my heart on this if you opt out of being in fellowship with believers it doesn't have to be here but if you just take this route and you say I don't need church I don't need to assemble together with believers you're going to miss out on an aspect of Jesus because he's in the midst of the golden lampstands. And I bet you can look back on your walk with the Lord and go, man, God's used believers time and time again. There's a spiritual battle that comes with being connected with believers. There's no spiritual battle in going to to Chick-fil-A, even though rumor has it it's the Lord's chicken. There's no spiritual battle when our family goes to Josh and John's ice cream, right? I don't feel a spiritual battle when I go out mountain biking with my kids. But you get your family together to come to God's house, to be with God's people, and there's going to be a battle. Satan doesn't want you here. He doesn't want your kids here. How many times do we have a battle in the midst of our hearts and minds while gathered with believers. All of a sudden we feel beat up because of our sin. Satan's working. How many times have we felt like, I don't belong here? I can guarantee you there's a spiritual battle on our teenagers this evening where the enemy's right there trying to whisper in your ear, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. If you open up here, you're, you're going to get hurt. This isn't worth worth your time. Satan's attacking, and and he's battling. But we know the promise of God to submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Don't expect gathering with believers to be the place where there's the absence of resistance, but where resistance is present. But God is with us, and it's exactly where we need to be. If we go through a lot of time and there's no spiritual resistance, it's probably not where we're supposed to be. We've just taken the easy road. We've just taken the the route of least resistance spiritually. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at the first time the word church is used in the Bible, There's the principle of first mention when you're studying the scriptures. When when you see a word used for the very first time, like the word love or the word worship, it gives us deep insight into that particular topic. And Jesus uses the word church here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. You're you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and i also say to you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church there's the first mention of the word church called out into assembly if you take notes write this down the church has jesus as its rock the church has jesus as its rock some look at this passage and say that Peter is the rock. But if you study the Greek, you'll notice that when God's speaking to Peter, he uses the Greek word, you're, you're a small rock. When he uses of this rock, he's speaking of a large rock, a huge foundation. Caesarea Philippi is located at a rock fortress. You can go there to this day. Jesus often used his surroundings for teaching and here he is standing at this rock fortress and he looks to his disciples and he says, upon this rock, not Peter, not Pope Peter, man, that would be a terrible foundation for the church. Peter's wonderful, but shaky ground for our foundation. He says, on this Petros, on this rock fortress, I will build my church and that rock is none other than Jesus Christ and specifically the confession that Jesus is God that he died for our sins and rose again that is our foundation that is our rock Jesus is the cornerstone and that's what we hold on to that's what makes the the church special and wonderful is the reality of what Jesus has done for us that God came in human flesh that he died for our sins, that he rose again. This is not a system of law. This isn't try harder. This isn't do better. This is God loves sinners and sent his son to die for us. And our rock is Jesus. So in this text, we really see the character and the nature, the identity, the purpose of the church. Number two, the church is built by Jesus. It says, I will build my church. The church is extremely flawed. It's extremely broken. Church history is not beautiful. But yet Jesus still builds his church. Here we are some 2,000 years later, and Christ continues to build his church. I know that on our hearts is believers in Afghanistan, and I'm hearing reports that the gospel is just exploding in Afghanistan In the midst of all of this persecution, there's even some that are beginning to write that the two biggest gospel movements that are happening in the world today, number one is Iran, and number two is Afghanistan. That makes no human sense. You would think that the church would be crushed. You wouldn't think that people are getting saved. But guess what? God builds his church. He's the one who builds his church. That's why I get excited about the times that we're living in, because it seems that when there's persecution and chaos and confusion, God uses that to build his church. He uses that to call people out of darkness and into his love and into salvation. And that's the economy of God. God's not building nations, he's building his kingdom. And he will use whatever means necessary to turn hearts towards him. And we have this confidence he's building his church. It's not us. It's not our strategies. It's not our wisdom. It's not our good, our ideas or our efforts. But it's Christ and his commitment to build his church. He's going to continue to be faithful to do that. Number three, the church belongs to Jesus. Jesus says, this is my church. It belongs to to Him. And this is important, and I want to go a little bit deeper into this, because with Jesus being the head of the church, He gives us instructions on how to set up the church. First, He's the head, which means He calls the shots. We come under the authority of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts and also in the epistles, God instructed That each local church would set up elders. And those elders would be spiritual leaders that would be held accountable by God to protect, to serve, to feed God's people. In order for a church to be a church from a biblical perspective, and this is from God's word, not my opinion, there has to be elders, there has to be spiritual leaders. The home church movement is good and beautiful as long as there are elders that are accountable for God, that are going to lead, that are going to guide, that are going to direct, that are going to provide church discipline when necessary. If there's not elders, then that's not a, a biblical church. And there's a lot of people that go, well, I, I'm disenfranchised with a larger church, because of the corruption that they've seen. So they're going to do the home church thing. I'm like, praise the Lord. God doesn't care about the size. He doesn't care if it's five or 5,000. As long as people are getting loved and fed and the gospel's going out, it's a gospel community. But when that group doesn't set up elders according to God's word, then it's a fellowship group, but it's not a church. But the same thing can happen... In a larger church where you don't have any active elders, could you could have a thousand people coming you could have ten thousand people coming, but there aren't elders plural it's it's a one man show, and before you know it, it can oftentimes lead to train wreck it's been said, and I think it's true absolute power corrupts absolutely right so And again, a biblical church and the biblical model of church, you should be able to look and see the elders are working together in unity to submit themselves to God's word. Are they going to do it perfectly? No, but you can go, there is biblical leadership that is in place. And why does that matter under this point? Because it's Jesus's church. So we, we've got to follow Jesus' instructions of how he wants us to set up church. So when we give up on the church, or we come against the church, or we sin against the church, again, this is God's people, we're messing with God's bride and his body. Those are two very descriptive emotional commitments that Christ has made when you say, my bride, you're like, okay, I, sh- I should not be messing with someone's bride, right? My body. We all take care of our, our, our bodies. And Jesus is going to take care of his bride and he's going to take care of his body. So, so the church, it belongs to, to Jesus. We go on, it says, And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Number four, the church is to be on the offensive, not the defensive. The church goes to the gates of hell. What are you doing at the gates of hell? You're not there to compromise. You're there in Jesus' name to see Christ kick in the gates of hell. You're going after Satan's youth group. You're like, yeah, God's able to save the lost. And because Christ died and rose again, he's given us the keys to the kingdom. And when we're in his will and his way and reaching out to the lost, there's the power of God. Church, this is not time for us to shrink back. As the lampstand, as the light of the world, this is the time to go, okay, let's press in to where the enemy is working, where he does have a, a stronghold, and see the Lord work and bring about a great victory. God has called us to an amazing adventure, to use us, to not be in a place where we shrink back. What made David so unique? When he saw Goliath, instead of being afraid, he saw opportunity for God's glory. And he knew God's glory was at stake. And he said, God, based on your glory, I would love to see you be able to defeat Goliath. God's still able to defeat the giants, amen? So the nature of the church, what Jesus is teaching us about the church is he's saying, be on the offensive. Go to the gates of hell. Go to where it's hard. Go to where it's difficult. Go where nobody else wants to go. That's the way Jesus lived. He put himself around sinful people. He was friends of sinners because he knew the love of the Father. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. The gospel is present in your lives. So go there and see the Lord do a great work. That's the nature of the church. That's the reality of who God has made the church to be. In verse 20, then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So the timing is not yet for Christ to be declared, and he says, guys, I want you to keep this to yourself. One more section of scripture, if you would turn with me to to Psalms 92, verse 13 and 14. Psalms 92, verse 13 and 14. This is an awesome promise when it comes to church. Why church? Why the body of Christ? Psalms 92. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of our God. Here in Israel, in this region, many palm trees, many palm trees to this day. The psalmist is looking at the palm trees and saying, you can flourish like a palm tree. The cedars in in Lebanon, just north of of Israel. You can grow to be like this, this mighty cedar tree. How do we grow? To be like a palm tree, to be flourishing, to be strong like a cedar? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Who flourishes? Who grows strong like a cedar? Those who are planted in the house of God. That's why Satan doesn't want you connected to a group of believers. Because he knows you're going to grow and you're going to be strong in the Lord if you're connected to believers. So we have to make a decision through the power of the Spirit in God's might where you say, I'm going to be planted amongst God's people. And there may be times where God leads you to a particular local church and then he leads you to another local church. When people share with me why they're leaving RMC, my heart's always a little bit sad. But what I try to be most concerned with is where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going to plant yourself? Because I love them and I care about them. But there's times that we have to fight for this, for ourselves individually, for our families. We're going to plant amongst God's people. We're going to be in relationship with with God's people because we want this promise. We want this promise of growth. We want this this promise of, of flourishing. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jack Welsh attends our fellowship. He's 94 years old. Amazing man of God. He was a physician for much of his career and also a pastor. Retired as a, as a pastor, has continued to love and serve disciple and invest and he is connected to god's people he's living out this commitment as long as he has breath his wife pat they're going to be planted amongst god's people and when jack comes sunday mornings at 11 as a 94 year old he is bearing fruit and he is fresh and he is flourishing And his soul is abounding. God was faithful to his promise. There's not too many 94-year-olds like Jack, I got to tell you. Where do we go apart from Christ? We get worse. Absolutely. We get more cranky, more sinful, more everything nasty, right? And then we slap old age on it. We blame it on, on old age, right? that's where we're headed if it isn't for Jesus, if it isn't for God's people, if it isn't for being connected to him. You don't meet a lot of people like Jack, but God will be faithful to his promise if we say, you know what? Where you're going to find me is with the people of God. That's where you're going to find me. I'm committed to that. And I'm going to sin, I'm going to fail. People around me are going to sin, and they're going to fail. But I'm going to be with the people of God. Because Jesus is with his people, and I'm committed to this. And this is not about me. This is not about what I like, or what I dislike, or who offended me. I'm not just going to pack it up and go home and be by myself and call myself a Christian. That's not what God says. I'm going to go for it. And at some point, we have to ask the question Am I defining Christianity or do I live in the Christianity that God has defined? And the reason that I get passionate about this is I want you to be fresh and flourishing. I want to be fresh and flourishing. This isn't an RMC thing, this is a body of Christ thing to say, Man, I'm going to be committed to be in the body of Christ. So, how do we respond? is one, I feel like I'm teaching to the choir because this is Wednesday night. You're like, man, Eric, you're beating up on me. I'm sorry. You you guys are doing great, right? You're here on a Wednesday night. But plant yourself with the people of God. Say, I'm going to make this choice. I'm going to make this commitment. I I get it. Why church? Because Jesus is in the midst of his church, and I don't want to miss out on Christ. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you show up, and you show up when you don't feel like it. You get connected into some type of small group, whether it's a connect group, men's or women's ministry. Invite believers into your home. Start serving. Serve the body. Look for needs and ways that you can serve. Commit here, if this is where God has called you. If he hasn't called you here, find another church to, to commit to. And then love the body of Christ as a whole. I hope that that's the message of RMC, that, man, we love what God's doing in this city. We love what God's doing in, in other churches. We're, we're not against other churches. We're, we're for other churches because there are brothers and sisters in Christ and we've planted ourselves in the house of God. I'm excited about what God is doing in the body of Christ right now because I think God is awakening us He's awakening us to the reality of Christ, and he's awakening us to the need of one another. So let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness, called us out of sin, to this wonderful assembly of fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do understand that there's just a tremendous spiritual battle when it comes with gathering together as believers. So we just ask in Jesus' name that you would rebuke the enemy. Rebuke the enemy and the lies that he speaks to our teens, the lies that he speaks to our children, to us as we gather together. Lord, and would you fill us to be able to press into your body.